We have been exploring the idea of vulnerability from multiple different perspectives. On the one hand, there seems to be this powerful idea of by opening up and allowing those around me to witness my authentic self. The authentic self in the sense of the struggles that I'm experiencing or perhaps the failings that I've had breaks down the barriers between us and allows a connection to occur. Whereas creating an image of perfection, ironically, as much as we do that in order to attract people to us through worrying about if I were only to show myself I'll be rejected, it's almost an ironical twist that by me perpetuating an image which is more attractive than my internal self, in order to gain acceptance, I actually promote rejection. Because an image cannot connect to anything that's real. So the it's, 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 a, it's a ludicrous, almost um, self-defeating emotional game that I play with myself by trying to perpetuate an image that's better than the real me in order that I'll be accepted. Because were I to portray the real me, then you'll reject me. And if you reject me, I have no connection. Ironically, of course, it's the opposite. That if I project the image of myself, there is no possibility that you can connect to me because me is not there. (laughs) So for sure I'm going to be rejected. Not in the sense of people are going to push me away, but in the deeper sense of that, that point of connection is a false connection. It's illusory. It doesn't exist. So by creating an image, it can only be fractured disconnection, whereas by letting go of that image and opening opening myself up and portraying the authentic with all the failings and fallibilities, then there is connection. Now, there may not be connection. There may be rejection, meaning if I open myself up to you, you may say, wow, I never knew that about you, and now that I know that about you, I really would rather not have anything to do with you. There is a possibility of rejection, but that rejection is actually a truer reflection of our connection, as it were, than if I portray a false image of myself and you connect to that. Because that's just illusory. When you reject me because you actually know who I am, that's at least real. And I know exactly where I stand, and therefore I have a, um, a yardstick to faithfully measure the quality of our connection. Because connection is different qualities. It's a little bit like when you've got the little notches on your phone about how strong the reception is and how strong your connection is. So you can have a weak connection, you can have a strong connection, you can have a super strong connection. When you're portraying an image, you've got a block that doesn't allow any connection to occur. When you become authentic, so then that may p- promote a very strong connection. On the contrary, it may completely weaken the c- connection the gamma. That's step one. That was vulnerability. What we began to explore yesterday in more depth is almost the opposite to that, which is creating an image. And it seems to be that there's something enormously positive about creating an image, and that's the paradox that we have to start to explore in more depth. And the source we brought was a Ramban on Chumash that we expanded to the notion of that in order for me to live up to my ideals, it's actually not equalizing and breaking down the barriers between me and the other, but accentuating the difference. And 
when surrounded by a mass of people becoming recognizably different, pronounced, um, easily spotted to be something transcendent in this formless mass of globular humanity, which seems to be the opposite direction. So let's talk a little bit about that and see where we get. And, and I'm going to be vulnerable right now. I'm in no way holding, understanding or grasping the idea either. And that's why I'm excited to explore this together with you. So I can understand this idea, and we're going to begin, as we did yesterday, with a revisiting on how, let's say, there's, there's kind of one of, the, one of the fundamental cornerstones of Jewish practice is the Shabbat. The Shabbat is looked upon as, first of all, one of the highlights, but also one of the char- character-defining components of, of, of the Jewish people. The Jewish people and Shabbat have, have, have so, are so intimately connected, and there's so much culture and song and excitement and behavioral patterns that are dictated by having this as a cornerstone of our spiritual practice to the degree that um, there's artifacts, beautiful kiddush cups, there's dishes, apart from the standard challah breads, but there's, of course, the ubiquitous in Ashkenazi circles, Gefilte fish. Gefilte fish. A gefilte fish, which comes, which is gefilte fish for those who have not experienced the joy of Ashkenazi cuisine. Gefilte fish is ground fish, ground fish, mooly together into small little um, yeah, patties, loaves, depending on which, which kind of particular gefilte fish you're subscribing to. And it generally comes with a, with a carrot beautifully placed on top of the, the mound of ground fish. <laughs> In fact, to the degree that the, 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 the consumption of gefilte fish on Shabbos generally spiced up with a bit of crane, being the, you know, being the Yiddish word for horseradish, has become so, so much part and parcel of Jewish culture that there's even a gefilte fish joke. And this is how the gefilte fish joke goes. How do you know which fish swimming in the pool is the gefilte fish? Obviously, it's the fish with a carrot on its head. <laughs> which is like, which, that, that joke is about as funny as gefilte fish is tasty. But the... <laughs> Now, that was a funny joke. Um, so now, this is interesting, though. Gefilte fish, gefilte fish is not just some kind of random Shabbos dish. It actually has a whole deep Jewish theme to it. Because on Shabbos, there's one of the creative activities that um, we don't engage in is, is, a, is a process of sorting good from bad. It's like it's a, it's a creative activity. And the, the thing with fish is the, uh, very often if you have a bony fish, it's, it's hard to like, um, differentiate and then pull out the, the fish from the bones and the bones from the fish. So they innovated a fish with our bones. And gefilte fish was born. Grind it and guarantee. <laughs> now, the question is, what does it taste like? But that's something that's secondary. 
we have to get the gefilas fish on the plate and work from it there. So Shabbos is this this day which which is which is so typical and so in a way inspiring and and um, almost creates the community of Jewish people gathering together, experience it both in the synagogue and out. It becomes this, this incredible magnet to perpetuate the community. It's powerful. But the point of Shabbat precisely is found in its differentiation from every other day of the week. The idea of Shabbat is everything on Shabbat is different. The clothes I wear are different. Dress up, smart, get into it. The kind of spiritual engagement is radically different from the rest of the week. The things that I do the rest of the week, I don't do on Shabbos. The way I speak, I don't do. The way I walk on Shabbos, listen to this. As a predecessor, long, long before mindfulness became so powerfully um, popular in the Western world, Jewish people on Shabbat were practicing walking meditations as explicitly described in the Jewish code of law called the Shulchan Aruch. There is a Shabbos walk, not the walk that you do after the Geshmaka challenge, but there's a way of walking on Shabbos. And the way of walking on Shabbos is, the way it's expressed, is to make sure that your, the, the, the gate, your gate, G-A-I-T, the way that you're stepping, that the space between your feet is no longer than the size of a foot. So I'm going to demonstrate over here that, let's say my, my foot is, I, I actually am to a size 12 and a half, 25, big feet, big feet, big feet. The world has lost an incredible Olympic swimmer when I devoted myself to spirituality. Just think I could have swam and then been almost as fast as a goldfish. And then a 30-day-old wildebeest, which is a, a kind of a, Buffalo and antelope in Africa, at 30 days old, can outrun Usain Bolt. It's like a baby wildebeest can beat the best runner in the world. Just reflect upon that. Okay, so, so here we go. So I've got these big feet. I've got these big feet. They could have done me well in swimming, but I wasted that talent and decided to devote it to Meaningful conquest. And here we go. So, here we go. so my foot like this, that's my foot, which means that my step can't be longer than that. <laughs> which means really, if you think about it, if you're going to walk at a decent pace, that's going to be way longer. So by limiting the distance between left foot to right foot and vice versa, so I'm actually compelled to walk mindfully because I'm not going anywhere. The process of walking becomes the way I am. As the Shabbos song, we even sing about it. Your walking should be with ease. So on Shabbos, everything changes. And as a result, I look at Shabbos and it sticks out. It's pronounced. Understand it. And it's, it's got this, this transcendent component to it, which is saturated in every waking moment of the day. That is called Shabbat Kodesh. Shabbat Kodesh. The Kedusha means the differentiated transcendence of being. Just 
like Shabbos, so to us. We have to be able to differentiate ourselves from an existence of purely material being until our very essence becomes pronounced just like Shabbos has got this aura of transcendence, of meaning, of depth, of a spiritual dimension, that should be the mechanism that differentiates us in our daily behaviors from an unmediated, unfiltered existence to the degree that everything we do becomes different. And that's what the Rambam points out, Maimonides, in the fifth chapter of what's called Hilchot Deot, where he goes into a fascinating exposition of different dimensions of self-development, and he devotes a chapter to how this expression of elevated being is manifest in walking, speaking, talking, eating, etc. We're good to grasp that. So let's, let's see how this works, and we'll, we'll peruse the words of the Rambam and see where it takes us. So when a person has wisdom, and that wisdom puts him in a position whereby his level of insight and understanding is deeper than those who haven't activated that component of themselves, and as a result, he has a kind of level of depth and insight that is not necessarily by default, given to humanity as a whole. He's, he's done the work, and therefore he's, rec- he's differentiated. He's just got a deeper grasp of the world. So too should that knowledge not remain a cognitive, intellectual grasp, but it should be integrated into every aspect of his being. The way that this is symbolically represented is the contrast to this elevated state. This elevated state is associated with the third of our forefathers. There were three of them. There were three forefathers. Work that out. Those of you who struggle with arithmetic. There were three forefathers. The third was Yaakov. And Yaakov's nemesis, big word, not so big. Yaakov's nemesis was Esav. Esav was the anti-Yaakov. So Yaakov represented complete and total spiritual integration, and that's why his name is Yaakov. Yaakov in the world of mystical gematria, the Yud, which is the first letter in his name, represents the spiritual component, and the last three letters of his name spell out the word Akev, which means heal. In other words, he had the capacity to draw down inside of himself and then put down all the way to his heel, spirituality, Yaakov, total and utter integration. Yaakov, Emet. Yaakov, Tiferet. Yaakov, integration in totality. His nemesis, Esav. Esav, he's gets it all. He's, so he's totally, he's, he's the self-made man. But there's no integration. He thinks amazingly. But his actions are un- utterly incompatible with his being. And this is that kind of a um, symbolic representative of this is actually historically manifest in Esau's death. Esau 
essentially was killed by a person called Chushin ben Dan, Chushin who was the son of Dan, and he was killed at the site of Ma'arat Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, in a dispute when it came to the burial of the father of both Esau and Yitzchak, disputing his burial place in Marat Machpelah, a quarrel evolved, and Chushim ben Dan took a sword and decapitated Esau in a very dramatic end to his life, and his head rolls in to the burial place of the patriarchs and, and stays there. In other words, his head is buried with the greatest spiritual giants because his head is there, but his body was left outside of this tomb. Symbolically recognizing that the head of Asaph, which means unintegrated knowledge, is there. This can be perhaps, sometimes people are even proud about this lack of integration. There's a famous story which you've probably heard. There was a philosopher of ethics, professor of ethics, called Bertrand Russell. And he said many, many, he's extremely intelligent, very deep person, and also um, he loved girls. And as a result, he had a series of flings with students. And his eth- he was a professor of ethics, and his, his ethical um, stature was questioned. And his response was, he was very quick, his response was, well, I understand. He says, were I to be a mathematician, would you expect me to become a triangle? <laughs> In other words, just because I'm a professor of ethics, it doesn't mean I have to be an ethical person. So that's contrary to our mode of spiritual existence, where any idea has to have a manifestation in feeling and action. It can't just remain an intellectual concept. Good? If so, this is the words of the Rambam. The Rambam says, just like a wise man, a deep person, a spiritual sage is differentiated by his grasp and his depth of his knowledge. Intellectually, so too he has to be differentiated in every single thing he does, whether it be his actions, his eating, his drinking, his intimate life, the way he does all his basic needs, the way he speaks, the way he walks, the way he dresses, the way he measures his words, and of course, the way he engages in business. Every part of his being is going to be crafted to be utterly coherent and cohesive with the deep spiritual riches that he carries with him. And in doing so, he becomes so pronounced as being different, not only through his knowledge, but through the way he engages in thought. I once remember, I had a teacher when I was in yeshiva, his name was Rabbi Arya Finkel, um, and he was a very, an extremely disciplined man who, who, in a certain way, I look at him as one of, one of the people that I saw that had, a, had enormous self-mastery. And I once saw a person from behind who was built the same as him, and he was wearing almost identical clothes. And so, oh, he's Rebbe Arya. But then I saw him walk, and I said, oh, no, it's not him. <laughs> not, because I, and I think we're all aware of this, that you can often, if, you, if you've got a friend, you can recognize them by their walk. So actually, your walk, the way that you move your body, isn't that interesting? The way that you move your body can also manifest a different state of being. So it's not only what you say, it's also 
how you say it. It's not only what you wear, but how you wear it. And all of these things become little micro expressions of this deep wisdom. And of course, in the context of our discussion, we have to figure out this seems to be focusing on the external and therefore we may fall into the trap of image, which is inherently contrary to the connection that vulnerability brings. That's, let's go a little bit further in the Rambam. What does he mean when he says in his eating? Do you call Sorry, we'll start before that. How so? Talmud Chochem, a wise man, he shouldn't be a glutton. shouldn't be like stuffing food down his face. And he shouldn't eat food that is unhealthy for him. When he makes a choice of what food he wants to eat, his decision is not based on taste. His decision is based on nutritional value, probably taking into consideration trans fat content, sugar, white flour, all these contributing factors to eating an inflammatory diet. And when the Chacham thinks about these things, he negotiates a way which I would respectfully suggest may involve, may involve a lot of proteins and pastas, sourdough bread. Chayr. Could be. But that's the point where he's like, and even the food that he eats, he doesn't overeat. And he doesn't chase after to fill his belly. Like those that chase after food and drink until they become bloated. This is very confronting for me, I must be honest. It looks like that person is the one there. It looks like I'm on the wrong side of the track at this point in time, which is problematic. It's fascinating. Then he goes on and he says, and he contrasts it to other ways of eating. He says, These are the people that eat and drink, and they relate to using all their days as we would festivals, meaning every day is an opportunity to engage in a new form of cuisine and to experience a new kind of geschmack eating experience. And then he takes it one further, which is, which is petrifying this, this connection. Eat, stay, and drink. Because tomorrow we'll die. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. Which is such a such a jump. But I think the Ram, the Rambam over here is explaining the underlying component of what is it about this life driven by the pursuit 
of cuisine that becomes so inherently self-sabotaging. And he says it actually robs a person of a meaningful and transcendent life. Because instead of activating his creative energies and using food as a means to an end, nutritionally giving him the strength and energy to function and to contribute, he actually uses food as an end in itself, which means that he has limited the expression, the expression of um, the experience of eating, instead of it being a means to the end, it becomes an end in itself, which creates a finite end to it, which obviously bespeaks a life which is terminated when the physical body ceases to function. Very different from transcendent living when at the end of 120 a person merely shuffles off his mortal coil. We're going to stop there for a moment and we will continue.